Join passionate automotive trainer and coach Andrew Uglow as he delves into the importance of defining your people and culture problems accurately before applying a solution. He talks to the thinking needed to get understanding of the root cause. I'm your host, Anthony Pearl, and this is the Frictionless Workshop Podcast. Let's get cranking. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Frictionless Workshop. And uh, it's without a further ado that I want to introduce the star of the show, Andrew Uglow. Andrew, welcome. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Anthony. It's not often that I get called a star. I get called lots of things, but star is not one of them, strangely enough. Well, I think those are people that are going to listen to this podcast series are going to uh, find out why perhaps you might be a star in your particular space. And I, I suppose that's the first place we should start really is, is do you want to do a little bit of an introduction as to uh, as to yourself, but also then into why the Frictionless Workshop? Yeah, really good. Um so my background is automotive technical. I've pretty much spent my entire life in the automotive industry. Um, I started out as an apprentice, uh, moved into a uh, workshop, a variety of different workshop functions, worked in dealerships, worked in independent aftermarket uh, workshops, um, worked in automotive training, uh, both here domestically in Australia and internationally. And uh, I am still a bit of an automotive technology tragic. Uh, I love cars. I love the technology on cars. I love uh, problem diagnosis, as in the chasing down the weird stuff uh, and figuring out not just what's happening, but why it's happening and how to solve it. Um, and I'm also uh, very much a, um, uh, a people person in the respect that um, my time in the trade has taught me that what I do is actually a really difficult thing. And I see a lot of technicians struggle. I see a lot of workshops struggle because their technicians struggle. Uh, and I'm really keen to go and add some value in that space to help, uh, firstly, the individuals be more successful at what they do, because there is a uh, an absolute skill behind that, but also um, to help businesses be more successful, not just in terms of profit profitability, uh, but certainly in terms of the retention, the engagement and the development of their staff, because that has a long-term impact on the trade. Uh, and, and that's sort of something that's really close to my heart. And, and hence the reason for, for starting the podcast. You know, I feel that uh, after 35 plus years in the trade, I've actually got something I can give back. Uh, and so that's uh, that's why we're here. And I, I love that. And I think particularly what people should realise that are listening in is that uh, you've worked from the ground up. Um, you know, this is cut, this business that you've created now and uh, what we're, what this podcast is about in terms of giving over that expertise comes because you've started on the ground level and worked your way up into, you know, ultimately having your own business, but it's, you know, how these cars work, you know, what it's like to work uh, in the space and to work training people in the space. So I think that this is a natural progression, but I think it's important that listeners understand that the perspective you've got is pretty unique. Yeah. I was uh, in preparation for the for the podcast. I did some math to try and figure out, just out of idle curiosity, roughly how many people I've I've had in my training classes over the years, uh, and it's in excess of about thirty thousand people. Um, and with those people, there's always been discussions. You know, we've we haven't just stayed on topic. We've been talking about uh, all and sundry, all the different things, all their frustrations, uh, all of their difficulties, all the things that. Um, that uh, they enjoy that what they don't enjoy um what's been successful for them and so 
that's uh, uh, reflected, I guess, in my perspective of, of how I see things operating. Um, and then on top of that, of course, is, is a natural curiosity. Uh, we find people make claims about why things do work in a workshop or why things don't work in a workshop. Uh, and I get really curious. I go, well, well, how would we know if that was true? How would we, how would we test for that? How would we uh, identify if that was in fact the whole story or part of the story or uh, that thing only happens in a specific context? And that's kind of where the whole concept of uh, a frictionless workshop came about in that uh, friction just makes everything harder as as automotive technicians, as as service managers, workshop owners. Uh, we're probably pretty familiar with friction, you know. Uh, it's the bit that causes all the damage on the cars that come in. And, and so it's it's no different in in running a business. A business is essentially a, a fairly complex uh, organic machine. And where there's friction, stuff goes wrong. Profit goes out the window. People leave. Uh, we have all of the stress, the strain, the difficulty, the the challenge, um, and uh, friction is fec- effectively robbing all of our effort and giving us a smaller return. So anything that we can do uh, in our workshops, in our businesses, uh, to mitigate the friction, because you can't actually reduce it. Well, not yet. We haven't quite figured that out entirely, but we can certainly mitigate the amount of friction we go through. Uh, has a significant impact, not just on our own uh, well-being as business owners, but certainly on the well-being of the people that work for us, uh, customer outcomes, like it's reflected right across the range of things uh, that we measure and, and and hold to be valuable. And I think just finally to set the uh, scene for the uh, for the podcast series that we're embarking on here is that the idea of friction is one that you can learn from as well, because I think that's the important part, isn't it? That the, the notion that there is friction uh, that is going to exist, you can either choose to ignore it and have it slow things down, or you can learn from it and constantly try to improve on it. Yeah, absolutely. And arguably, the, perhaps the biggest challenge in running a workshop, in in running a, a technical team, is friction can look super normal. You can look at things and you go, well, that's it's like that and that's the way it is. And it's always been like that. When the reality is there's actually friction there. And if you don't know to go looking for it, you'll just accept it, you know, put your head down and your tail up and push harder uh, and try and get a, a better result when the sensible thing to do is actually look at what's causing the friction and go about mitigating that or resolving that or, or limiting that friction so that the effort that you do actually gives you a better outcome rather than you having to do more effort to get the same outcome. The Frictionless Workshop podcast is brought to you by Solutions Culture. For details on how to get in touch with Andrew, consult the show notes below. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, and I I think so. We want to turn our attention now particularly to the workshop, which is obviously the main focus for us in terms of um, uh, where the friction starts to play out. And I think uh, just to, again, to set that scene a little bit is that often the people that are overseeing those things, those workshops might be a bit removed from it. So this might be a little bit of a starting of a look under the hood to understand what might exist in the workplace. So give us a little bit of an insight of how you see friction starting to play out in workshops. Perhaps the the biggest indicator and, and it certainly depends upon the amount of friction. Uh, friction in its early stage can be um, very benign, um, very difficult to find. 
but as friction increases, its impact increases. Uh, and when things uh, start melting down or uh, seizing or that sort of stuff, friction becomes super obvious. And I guess the biggest indicator for me was uh, around a lot of the terminology that we see used in the workshop or in the industry today around skills shortage. Um, oh, there's a skill shortage. It's so hard to find people, not just good people. Um, you know, I just need someone who can stand upright, maintain a pulse and preferably spin a spanner. You know, I just need a warm body in my workshop to do the work. And that kind of um, rung some alarm bells when I started to hear about that, because when I started in the automotive industry 30 plus years ago, there was a skills shortage then. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. If there was a skill shortage all the way back then, and there's still a skill shortage now, surely this can't be normal. Surely this can't be a straightforward problem. There's got to be something else here at play. Uh, and to, 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 to give it a, a name, uh, it would be friction. There is something here that is making our efforts or absorbing our efforts and giving us uh, uh, poorer results, even though we keep trying harder to resolve the issue. Yeah, I think that's a, an important thing for people to understand, isn't it? That that it's firstly recognising that there is going to be a problem because it's inevitable that there is a problem, right? That that uh, if you think there's no problem, the chances are that you're not looking properly. Yeah, absolutely. And if it was something simple, something simple, surely we would have solved it by now. Like the, the industry isn't that stupid, right? The, the, we've got some absolute gurus that work in management, that work in business ownership, uh, in, in financial areas and financial controls. We have uh, some of the most gifted people I've had the pleasure to, to talk to and work with that work with technical things. And so given all of this brain power, given all of this knowledge and skill, it, it, it befuddles me. Like, why haven't we solved this yet? Surely there's got to be something at play here, something more than what we believe is at play. Um, and, and so... I guess in answering that question and and looking, if you like you say, below the hood, looking below the water level of the iceberg, right? We all see the problems on the tip of the iceberg. Uh, they stick out like the proverbial. But if we're going to go and actually go looking, um, we need to be prepared, I think, to call a spade a spade. And some of that stuff's going to be a little bit unpleasant, right? There's going to be the odd elephant in the room. Uh, there's going to be things that we just don't want to hear. Um, but if we're not prepared to address them, if we're not prepared to... Um, actually take a look well strangely enough we're going to keep doing the same things we've always done and continuing to get the results that we always get uh so it, it really is a um uh both a, an exciting thing and an and an uncomfortable thing at the same time i think one of the important things is is understanding that there is a skill shortage and starting to think about how to address that yeah absolutely um and part of the part of the challenge, I think, with the skills shortage is the name that we've given it. Um, skills shortage is a is a is a a, a brilliantly vague and, and general name, isn't it? Um, skills shortage, like like what what actually is that? Um, it's 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 actually really problematic because it's not only poorly poorly defined. What we've actually done is we've lumped a whole bunch of different issues into one issue and called it a vague name. And so what happens then is we think that because there's the skills shortage, then there must be a, a solution, a singular solution to 
the skills shortage. But we've got a compound problem. We've got a problem that is made up of multiple problems that is contributing to what we see as the tip of the iceberg, the skills shortage. Um, and it kind of reminds me uh, of, of the sort of challenges that technicians find in diagnosis. You know, if we start out with really poor information, it simply takes your technician longer to solve the problem because their first step is to go and get good quality information that actually identifies explicitly what the real source of the problem is instead of, you know, noise in car. Well, noise in car isn't really helpful. Like you've got a, a large, expensive, mobile mechanical machine with a, <laughs> a vibrating uh, motor assembly uh, and somehow you're getting a noise. Well, of course you are. Like you need something really explicit, you know, noise in car over speed humps when turning left. Oh, okay. That's far more. Uh, descriptive. Now I can actually go about identifying what's really behind the cause. And it's the same with skill shortage. You know, um, what's a skill shortage? Like what sort of skill? Uh, you know, how is it a short? There's, there's, there's so many characteristics that are just uh, vaguely addressed and, and, and not even labeled. Um, and I particularly like, uh, I particularly like what Yoda said. Uh, and it's not often that I quote Yoda, strangely enough. Um, but, but he says in, in uh, The Empire Strikes Back, he says, uh, named must your fear be before conquer it you can. And for automotive diagnosis, we know absolutely that named must your problem be before solve it you can. And if we can't effectively and accurately and explicitly name what the problem or problems actually are, what hope have we ever got of trying to solve them? Yeah, and I like how you take the same logic that's involved in what the mechanics are doing right on the ground and pulling that up to a higher level and saying to people that are overseeing this that you, you actually need to take the same perspective on what's on what and, and how to look at the business and to understand that if you think that there's no problem, you're mistaken because there is. The question is to what degree the problem exists and how much you're you're willing to go in and starting to have a look at it, um, because otherwise, um, you know, it's it's also understanding the fact that it's it it may not be a single thing, and that it starts to compound. It's funny um, with cars, and, and particularly as cars have got more complex, we often find that the problem is a compound or the source of the problem is a compound item. Uh, and I can tell you dozens of dozens of stories where um, after doing some some diagnosis, you know, I honestly believed that this particular component or this particular uh, connector was at fault, did the uh, did the repair. Um, of course, it's always done in a very uh, high time pressure environment. And uh, someone says, oh, Andrew, how much longer will you be? And I go, oh, look, I, I found it you know, uh, should be ready in, you know, X minutes, whatever that is. Uh, and then I go about resolving the problem only to find out that I've solved half of it. Uh, and there's still something hidden below what I thought was the problem that's actually the real problem um, or another half or another part of the problem. Uh, and I suspect with people that that's also the case. People are, are profoundly complex. We're not uh, we're not machines. We don't run in a, in a linear fashion we we work very organically 
And because we're organic, we we operate in a in a workshop system that is actually not a mechanical system. It's an organic system, and and so the the complexities of um, working with people, while there's patterns and there's methods and techniques to deal with that, um, they're actually really complex. And just because something looks like uh, disengagement or a poor attitude or, or whatever it is, that doesn't necessarily reflect the cause of the behavior that you're seeing. And so being able to dig below what we see on the surface, just like you do in in, in technical diagnosis, um, I think is something that's perhaps been lacking um, in the industry. And I think it's also been a contributing factor for perpetuating uh, the issues that we see, being that we we really haven't changed our management methods or styles or, or uh, philosophies really since about the 19... 19- 50s or 70s you know we're still operating with those sorts of mindsets and I'm it's it's like 2023 like surely uh it's time for a change and we're starting to see some of it come through but there's still some legacy things that are that are profoundly unhelpful um in terms of of, of the methods that we use uh to to work with people in a workshop so um yeah what it looks like and what it really is aren't necessarily the same Thank you for listening to the Frictionless Workshop podcast. For details on how to get Andrew working with you and your technicians, take a look at the show notes. There's also a link to some special content you can access. I'm Anthony Pearl, reminding you to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.